that the Bible is our only rule of faith and practice. That's right. The Bible is our only rule of faith and practice. Now, what that means is that no matter what we're talking about, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what somebody is telling us, we always take everything back to the Word of God. And so, as a child growing up, I had to read what the Word of God said to understand my role as a child, as an adult, as a parent. My roles in the family are determined not by society, not even by my parents. They're determined by the Word of God. All right, now, the Word of God has two main roles for children. Now, for all the children that are here that are normally in my wife's Sunday school class, can you guess or, or, or tell me what those two roles are, the two roles of children in the family? Y'all answer about as well as the adults do, so that's okay. So there are two roles for children. One of them is, in fact, both of them are found here in this passage. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're just reading verses 1 through 3. The first thing, children, what's the next word? Obey. I didn't hear any kids saying it, so I don't know there's a lot of gusto there. But, but children, number one, your role is to obey your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor, that's the second one, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now notice, Paul is reminding you, he's telling you something that you should pay attention to. Remember the Ten Commandments? The first one is, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not make unto me any great news. He doesn't make any promises with those. He just says, this is what you'll do. But, for children, he says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that it may be well It's the first of the Ten Commandments that has a promise attached to it. Now, how many of you kids want to have a good life? I see hands not. Some of you do not want to have a good life. It's okay. All right? If you want to have a God-blessed life, it begins with obedience and honor. All right? It begins with understanding what obedience is and committing yourself, all right, this is an act of your mind. This is something you choose to do. So my daughter can choose to obey and honor me, or she can choose to disobey and dishonor me, all right? It's a choice that you make as a child to either obey or disobey, to honor or to dishonor. But God says if you will choose to obey and to honor, there's a promise for you. It will be well with you, right? And your days will be long in the land that the Lord gives you. Okay, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm guaranteed 80 or 90 years of, of good life? No, not necessarily. But it does mean that God is going to bless your life and your walk with him if you honor and obey your parents. Now, I've said this before from the pulpit, and I mean this, right? No parent is perfect. I am not a perfect parent. Even Papa, having practiced for years, is not a perfect parent. He's almost there. Manny is, is even closer, right? But no parent, no grandparent, no great-grandparent is perfect. That means, as children, you're going to have to choose whether you're going to honor your imperfect parents or not. But if you see things in your parents that you know are wrong, the only way to overcome those and not be the same person that you dislike in your parents is to honor your 
children who obey and honor their parents overcome the sins of their parents. Children who disobey and dishonor become just like the worst things that their parents do. You see it over and over. Indeed, it gets worse. All right? So if there's something you see in your parents that you don't like, remember this. God will give you the grace to overcome the sins of your parents if you honor and obey. So what does it mean to obey? All right, verse 1 says, children, obey your parents. To obey means you have to obey your parents in what you do. In other words, when I tell my son, Danny, take out the trash, that means that in order to be obedient, Danny has to take out the trash. Since it was Danny, more people were speaking, so we're getting something. Thank you. But that's not all, all right? It doesn't just mean mechanically doing what your parents tell you to do. Right? Because I have had my children assist in, in chores, and you can tell their heart is not in this. Right? It's not just what you do, it's also when you do it. All right, have you ever been told by your parents, say, we're going to continue this, take out the trash? And three hours later, the trash isn't taken out, but you're going to get around to it sometime. Right, parents, we, we don't know anything about that, do we? All right? It's disobedience if you don't obey right away. So obedience is not just what you do, it's when you do it. When your parents tell you to do something, stop what you're doing and go and do it. All right, we live in a world where everyone's attached to electronic devices, whether they're watching them or they haven't plugged into their ears or whatever, and people have learned to put off everything they don't want to do because they're attached to something else that's got their children. If you're going to obey, you have to obey right away. And as I told my children, all right, if, if I have told my son to do something, and he's in the middle of doing what I told him to do, and then mom comes around and says, hey, go do this, and he chooses to obey right away, then that means if there's any problem with him stopping what he's doing, it's between my life, right? My child has done exactly what he's supposed to do. So you don't have to worry about, oh, well, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't finish what dad was telling me to do. Now you can explain, you know, that told me to take up. So, do you want me to do this first? But, obey right away. So, not only should you do what you're told to do, you should do it right away. Third, the way you do it affects whether it's obedience. Alright? Taking the trash, taking it out of the trash can, walking about six steps towards the door and dropping it is not obedience. Did you take out the trash? Technically, it's out of the can, so it's been taken out, right? Have you completed the task? No, you haven't. So obedience means doing what you're told to do, doing it when you're told to do it, and doing it all the way until it's done. The dishes aren't done until all the dishes are done, which I know is difficult, especially in a large family. How many dishes do you all have to deal with on a daily basis? Right? We have to deal with a lot. You know? And then the, the scary thing is sometimes there's no dishes left and my children are still eating. Don't know how that happens, but, you know, I guess we descend into savagery if we need to. But you should obey in what your parents tell you to do. You should do it when they tell you to do it. And you should do it until it's completely done. So you can walk away and say, I have completed the task that you have given me. And lastly, and this is perhaps the most important, you obey with your attitude. Right? All of you have seen your siblings do something this way. All right, my three-year-old does this a lot. So if you want to see disobedience even in the midst of obedience, watch Lydia. Once she realizes she has no choice, her, her, her fists ball up and her head goes down, 
and she walks like she's carrying a 10,000 pound weight on her back, and you can tell she hates what she's doing. That's not actually obedience. Now, we're working on that here. We rather expect that from a three-year-old. Not that we expect them to be good. But three-year-olds do that. As you grow older, to be obedient, you should learn to obey with the right attitude. That means that even if mom and dad didn't present their supplication in just the way they should, say, please, will you do this for me, my beloved son, my lovely daughter, you still do it with the right attitude. All right? That's obedience. But there's a second thing, and that is to honor. Right? To honor your parents means that you think about your parents in a certain way. When you think about mom and dad, what do you think? Good question. Now, this, this goes for all of us now, because all of us in this room are children, aren't we? How do you think about your parents? Well, that means if God is commanding you to honor your father and mother, that means that you have a choice in how you think about your parents, doesn't it? Right? I have a choice as a 40-year-old and how I think about my parents. I recognize better than I ever have before that my parents are not perfect, but I honor them with my thoughts. Not only should we honor our parents with the way we think about them, but we honor them in the way we speak about them. When you're with your friends and the parents aren't around, what do you say about your parents? Oh, let me tell you what. My dad is such a pain. He makes me do all this stuff. He never pays me what he should pay me to do the things I'm doing. Whatever it may be. How do you speak about your parents? Because the way that you think will change the way that you speak about your parents. And the way that you speak about your parents is going to change the way you act about your parents. You may not realize this right now, especially for the younger ones, but you're growing old really fast. It's not going to be long before you're 18, 20, 22, 25 years, 35, and it goes by very quickly. The habits that you build now, as far as honoring your parents, will lead into the rest of your life. So if you think you can dishonor your parents now and get it right when you turn 21, no, what you're doing is you're building habits that will affect your relationship with your parents for the rest of your life. So you should think about your parents. Choose to think about your parents in the right way. When those bad thoughts come in about how nasty mom has been or, or how mean dad is or how you don't get enough credit from your parents, think about this. Lord, this is not how I should think about my parents. Help me. When others are bad-mouthing their parents, don't you participate. Speak well of your parents. Act in a respectful and honoring way towards your parents. And ultimately, one day, you may be called upon to care for your parents. I know we live in a culture where, you know, 10-year-olds aren't thinking about nursing homes. But one day, a 10-year-old will be there for you. And their 30-year-old parents, 35 or 40-year-old parents, will be in your 70s Commit yourself now to honor your parents by taking care of them. Because that's our job. That's, that's our duty. That's, but it's also our privilege to take care of our parents. Now, hold on. All this is a lot to carry, right? Good job. She's probably not bought enough for some of the ones that want to do it. My 14-year-old, probably, Viviana, right now, is building the habits 
that will affect her relationship with me and with my wife for the rest of her life. So the choices my daughters make at 10 are going to affect who she is when she's four. Think about that. What you're doing right now, even if you're too young to think it makes any difference, is going to affect the way you are. And God says this. If you will obey your parents, if you will honor your parents, there's a special blessing for you. Now, do you want God's blessing? Yes or no? If you want God's blessing, obey and honor your parents. And remember this, right? Because God has placed your parents over you as an authority over you for a time. Disobedience to your parents is disobedience to God. But look at it this way instead. When I obey my parents, I obey God. God loves God loves you more than your parents. God is perfect. He never makes mistakes. And this perfect God, who knows you and loves you, has given you a particular set of parents because he wants what's best for you. So if you obey your parents, it's a way of saying, God, Lord, I don't exactly understand why you gave me the parents that you gave me or why they are the way that they are, but I do know that you love me. And I will follow you. Is that what you want to do with your life? Follow the Lord. If you do, to honor you. Was it too long that we felt to children to obey us. 
The question is why? Because if we haven't settled in our mind the biblical reasons why we teach our children to obey us, why we teach them to honor us, it will change the way we discipline. It will change the way we train. Because if honor and obedience is all about my life being easier, I'm going to discipline my children in a very different way. Because when you get on my nerves, the hammer comes down. Now, I will not stand up here and tell you that I've never disciplined me. I have. But I've had to repent of it and ask my children for forgiveness when I stepped out of line. Should parents ever apologize to their children? Should parents ever repent in front of their children? I have more times than I wish I had. But when I do wrong, God's command to go and repent is the same for me and my children as it would be as the same for me and you. If I sin against you, it's my responsibility to go and say, brother, I was wrong. What I said was wrong. What I did was wrong. There is no excuse for it. Please forgive me. I have the same responsibility with my children. But see, when I'm disciplining in anger, it's usually because my nerves have been stepped on one too many times. It's because my preferences have not been honored, and it's not because I want my children to Because, you know, the fear of me brings a snare. I'm a man, too, but the scripture says the fear of man brings a snare. So what my children should be concerned about as they obey me is not, oh, you know, I better get, better not get dad ticked off, I better not get mom angry, but rather, I must honor my God. And the way I do that as a child in this house is to honor It's a different way. And it changes the way we operate and should. So, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, the scripture says, Furthermore, we have fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastised us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Notice the end that God has in mind when he disciplines us. It is that we might be partakers of his holiness. In other words, when I'm chastising, when I'm disciplining, when I'm rebuking my children, it's not about me getting what I want now. It's about my children learning holiness. There's a huge gap between those two motivations. Because, among other things, I can't teach my children holiness when I discipline them in the flesh. I have to be right. Before I sit down with my children and administer corporal punishment, or before I take them in, you know, in a, behind a closed door and say, this has got to change. If I'm not right, then the way I discipline them will not guide them to holiness, it will guide them to discouragement. Remember, fathers provoke not your children to wrath, lest they be discouraged. A father disciplining for his own ends leads his children to discouragement, because because he's not getting what he wants. And he's telling his child, don't do what you want so that I can get what I want. How does that make sense? It doesn't. Rather, when I take my children, my you know, three-year-old into a room 
with that bamboo spoon. And have that time of discipline with her. It's because I want my three-year-old to remember not obedience. I'm not. But obedience to God. And she's learning to obey her Lord as she learns to obey. But that's only true if I'm leading her right. I want my children to taste holiness. They know what holiness is. That's my goal, to guide them towards holiness, to guide them to the Lord and say, follow him, follow him, not me, right? If I'm following him, follow me. But if I veer off, you need to know enough to say, no, that's not right, that's not really right. That's what that, that's where I'm going. I'm heading to the Lord. I'm following him. I'm doing what he wants me to do. That's our goal, right? To raise our children so they'll follow him. Even if I don't do right, they follow him. So that they might be partakers of his holiness. That's our goal. So we want it to be well with them. Alright? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3 tells children to honor your father and mother that it may be well with you. Do we want it to be well with our children? I'm not just talking about our children looking, making us look good. I'm talking about do we want our children to do well? In God's eyes, we're not talking about this world's eyes. They may be poor, they may be rich, none of that matters. Are they following Him and learning what it is to love and to be loved by their Savior? That's the question. Do we want it to be well with them? Right? We want them to obey us for some reason. The reason not to be. Because one day they're going to walk out from my door. You know, I, I mean, I've got a 14 year old. Four years, maybe six, maybe eight, and he's going to be out on his own. Following Christ, I trust. I want him to have already tasted and known and fallen in love with the Savior that I love. If I don't transmit that to him, I have failed. It's my desire that it be well. We desire a long and a fruitful life of Do we not? We want our children to be well. We want our children to be well. But more than just this idea that we want them to be rich and healthy and live a long time, I want his life with Christ to be rich. I want their lives to be abundant. Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. I want my children to be fruitful. Not so it reflects well on me, but so that they can taste and see that the Lord is good. It's my job to guide them along in their relationship with the Lord until they can walk with their own feet. And as they begin to walk with Him, I step back and say, Now follow Him. Keep following. Keep going. We want it to be going. We want them to live a fulfilling life with their Savior. And we yearn for them to be partakers of His holiness. We don't want the same things that clung to us from our childhood as we grew up, to cling to them. We all carry baggage, some more, some less. But whatever baggage we carry, our desire ought to be, Lord, let the baggage end with me. Let me not take this terrible weight that I have carried with me all these years and plant it on my children's shoulders and say, now you go and follow the Lord with this same burden. I want them to follow the Lord without the baggage that I've 
I'm not saying I carry a lot. I had a good family. But all the things that needed tweaking, all the things that needed adjusting, my goal is to pass none of those things to my children. I recognize a few things were well consistent. I want them to be partakers of this holiness, not of my bad, not of my thing, not of my ways. I want to follow the Lord. That should be our motivation. We want it to be well with them. We want holiness for them. We want them to have a fulfilling life. Not us. It's not about us. And so if they go off and never mention us again, if they go off and deep into deepest, darkest Africa, and we never hear from them again because they're serving the Lord in a place where they cannot get the word back to us, let it be that they're following Christ. And that is enough. That they're pursuing holiness. And so the scripture calls on us then to examine our methods and our motivations. Looking back at Hebrews, let's step back to verse 4. Right, this is a glorious passage. It begins, we've just come through the hall of faith. And the, and the writer, God, is telling us, Wherefore, seeing we are also uh, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. We know this. And he tells us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then he says, in verse 4, We have not yet resisted unto blood to rise against sin. So the context of this discussion now is spiritual warfare. Parents, do you realize you're sending your children into a battle? In fact, realize this, they're in the battle. My three-year-old is in a spiritual battle. My eight-year-old, almost eight-year-old, is in a spiritual battle right now. All right? I stand there as the captain of our little band with my wife at my side, guarding them, protecting them, fighting for them, but realize that they have their own battles, that even now they're fighting that I can't fight for them. All of our children are in the middle of a spiritual battle right now. The writers remind them, look, you haven't physically had to bleed for your faith yet. Is that a, not a hope that they right now? We haven't had to resist from the blood yet. But you let the agendas you see coming down from our current administration continue on the path they want to, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're already seeing pastors being jailed because they're standing out in front of a pride room reading the scriptures and they're being jailed or arrested anyways, harassed. That's just the end. And not only should we think this for ourselves, well, you know, the battle is going to begin raging hotter, we expect it to because in the last days perilous times shall come. But also, my children the context is spiritual warfare. And then it reminds us that the chastening that God brings is designed not to crush us, but to correct us. It says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor think when thou art rebuked him. What is he saying? He's saying, when God brings correction in our lives, in the midst of this battle, with all the other burdens we bear, when God brings correction in our lives, he does not do it to crush us. It's measured, it's careful, he knows precisely what we ought to bear. And so rather than destroying us through chastisement, he is strengthening us, correcting us, guiding us. 
That means that as parents, every time we correct, every time we chastise, every time we rebuke, we must measure what we're doing, know our children, and by God's wisdom say, what I, what I do, what I say, whatever punishment I inflict, whatever it may be, must be designed to strengthen when he did that. Well, because he says, don't faint when you are rebuked. In other words, it's our choice to say, God's laid too much on me, I can't take it anymore. We're not just crushed out of pain. We have a choice. See the difference. I have stood there and watched parents crush their children. You smash them to the ground with your words, with whatever you have, and they're done. They have no argument, they have no hope, they're crushed, it's over. That's not biblical. Because even God, with all his holiness, with all his righteousness, with all his justice, doesn't crush his children. He corrects them. He chastises them. So when we correct, we must correct not to crush them, but to guide them. To give them sufficient incentive to change their bodies in their direction. We ought to use the minimum necessary methods to accomplish. Right? Don't go straight to the nuclear drive. That requires wisdom. Wisdom we don't have. It's James saying, if you lack wisdom, you don't ask for God. You need wisdom every day, every hour. It also means that while God could correct us until we think he doesn't, that means that we ought to be seeking correct in such a way that guides our children back, not drives them into the ground. Chastening is a proof of love. Look at verses 6 through 8. The scripture says, For whom the Lord, what's the next word? For whom he loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with him as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Chastening is a proof of God's love to us. If I am walking down the wrong path, God as a loving Father corrects me and guides me back on the right path. Why? Because destruction is at the end of the wrong path. Right? The wages of sin is what? Death. And even as a believer, if I choose to follow a path of sin, there is destruction and misery in its wake, and at the end for me. So when God takes me, and he corrects me in a way that I really wish he hadn't done it, but when he does it, he does it as a proof of his love. That means that as parents, number one, we must correct our children, or we don't love them. Right? Hands-off parenting, letting them follow their own creative path, whatever you want to call it, is not scriptural, it's not biblical, and it's a proof not of love, it's a proof of apathy, which is just about the opposite of love, isn't it? We must correct them. That means we must be engaged enough in their lives to understand where they're going and to actively correct them back to the path. As a proof of our love, we correct, but... If love is the driving motivator in our correction, it should change the way we chase it, doesn't it? It should. It should guide us. It should inform what we do. 
you know, it's not popular to talk at all about corporal punishment anymore. I understand. But the scripture says that foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. The rod of correction is what God That doesn't mean that I have to rod my back pocket at all times and I'm just looking for my opportunity to give. Far from it. But it means that there are times when the only way to get your children's attention. The goal is not the rock, right? The goal is to drive foolishness out from their heart. If we're going to drive foolishness out, we can't be disciplining foolishness. See where we're going. We must discipline with wisdom love. But love chastens, right? This means abuse is excluded, all right? Whether it's verbal or physical abuse, it is utterly antithetical to the scripture. You cannot abuse someone and tell them that you don't. You cannot. And by the way, if we care for our children, remember this. When children grow up abused, they're far more likely to be abused than you Because that's all they know, and that's what they seek after, because that's the only thing that fits. What did Jesus say? He said it would be better for us if a millstone were hanged about our nephews, and we'd be cast into the sea rather than making one of these little ones do If we cause our children to fall because we get angry or because whatever our motivation there is a terrible That doesn't mean we lose our salvation. I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is that judgment comes because God has a special love for children. He's watching how he lives. Abuse is excluded. Anger and discipline is, is excluded. Why? Because the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. James 1.20. Full stop. There's no explanation. There's no... But you can be angry if... So what that means is that if I'm going to fulfill the scriptural command to be angry and sin not, when my children do something that gets me, that I have to step back and say, okay, I've got to get rid of my anger before I take care of my children. That's why I say with shame, there have been times when I'm disciplined out of anger. I was mad, particularly. Cross me the wrong way. You stepped on my last nerve after a hard day at work, whatever the reasoning may be. The moment I discipline in anger, I lose whatever benefit. My children lose whatever benefit might have come from my discipline. And so anger is excluded. We cannot discipline in anger. The only one that can discipline in anger and still do it righteously is God Himself. God's anger works His righteousness. But God's wrath, God's anger is perfect and guided by perfect wisdom, perfect love, perfect justice, perfect righteousness. I can't claim any of those things. So when I get angry with my children, I have to step back and say, Lord, please cleanse me of this anger. Forgive me. We're thinking that, that my rights are what's important right here. And once I settle that down and I can discipline in love with wisdom, then I do it. That's not an easy discipline. But abuse and anger are excluded, and permissiveness is excluded. We cannot let our children go down the wrong path. We have to be engaged. 
we can't just let them go. Right? That doesn't mean that every little dictating rule, that every little tiny thing has to be adjusted and stopped. And don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, stop that, do this. But what it does is that when we see our children veering off from what is right, we correct them. We do not let them continue. That is our responsibility, a responsibility laid upon us by our love as a children. Chastening may be motivated by selfishness, or it may be motivated by love. Look at verses 9 and 10. He's reminding us of the discipline we received from our parents. He said, furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Or should it? Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the fathers we had to live? And then he says this. He reminds us. For they barely for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Right? I know for a fact that my parents sometimes discipline me because they love me. And sometimes they discipline me for their own pleasure. Not because they enjoy discipline. But because what I was doing was annoying them and they wanted me to cut it out. That means it's possible to train, to chastise, correct, to rebuke, whatever words you want to use, it's possible to do it for your own self interpretation. It's also possible to do it the way God has commanded us, when we do chasing the distance. So we decide when we chase them, we train them, we teach them, we decide, am I going to do this because what I want out of them is children that don't make me ashamed when they go out in the public? Do I want children that aren't going to shame me in front of the church by talking about things they shouldn't talk about when they're out in the, in the, in the playground with their friends? Or do I want children that are genuinely committed to me? And that thought ought to touch us. That thought ought to come to our mind every time we're getting ready to rebuke or to discipline our children. Every time we're, we're teaching them and training them to obey and to honor us, why am I doing this? Obey me. Because obeying me is obeying God. Honor me. Because honoring me is honoring God. Not because I'm worthy of obedience. I am a sinner. Not because I'm worthy of honor. If Paul was less than the least of the apostles, if he was the chiefest of sinners, Paul's done a lot more for the Lord than I have. Where do I fall? I don't deserve I have to live a life that's right. I have to be the example I should be. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I should just live whatever I want to because I don't deserve it. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying I understand that the only reason my children ought to honor me is because honoring me is honoring Christ. That's why I want to honor Not because I get something out of it. I do. It's great. It's a great feeling when your children of their own volition choose to honor you, say things about you when they don't know that you hear, or when the word gets back around you. That's a wonderful feeling. Don't get me wrong. But that's not why you do it. Do it. We want them to love. We want them to have his blessing. So chastening ultimately should yield peace and righteousness. Verse 11, no chastening for the present seeming to be joyous, but grievous. 
Nevertheless, afterward, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So now it's time to Is our discipline yielding peace and righteousness when we do it? Is our training, is our teaching creating peace and righteousness in our children? If it's not, it's probably because we're doing it wrong. It's probably because our motivation in training our children to obey us and to honor us is because we want something out of it rather than we want our children to get something out of it. Openness, righteousness, peace. That's what we want inside of our children. So it's in As I examine myself, are you teaching obedience and honor? Are you motivated by the right things? Are you using wise and biblical methods? Training your children is not for your benefit, it's for those. When we allow the annoyances and the injuries of childbearing to distract us from the goal of childbearing, which is holiness in our children, then we fail God and we fail our children. We already know what Jesus said about people. So let's pray that God will help us to guide our children. If you don't have children, one day you will. And even if you don't, you're part of a local church. You can be a blessing to children as you teach them to honor and obey. Father, we thank you for your word. And for the conviction it brings, Lord, we are not sufficient for these things. As a parent, as a father, there is a, an amount of wisdom and holiness that is required that I do not possess. Only you can raise my children. But Father, you have chosen in your wisdom and your divine plan to use me as a father to my children and as an example to the children of this church. Father, every one of us is an example to Lord, correct us that we might teach our children honor and obedience. Not for our sake, but you might be glorified as our children live long and productive lives, following lives characterized by peace and by righteousness and by holiness. Lord, that is what we desire for our children. Help us, Lord, to walk in your ways and to teach and to train our children as you would have us do. Pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.